0: Thank you.
1: Good day and welcome to the FIFA World Cup show. Wherever you are listening to this episode from, whether you are in the USA, on the African continent, Americas, Asia, Europe and Oceania, welcome to the most exciting, informative and educative sports show on the calling platform with yours truly, Philippa Limo. I have love for sports. On the program tonight, or wherever you are, if you're in the U.S., it's a late afternoon. You're in Asia, it's already morning. If you're on the African continent, it's evening. And you're in Europe, it's evening. If you're in Oceania, it's a good morning. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the history of the FIFA World Cup. In our last episode, we discussed how football was, what led to the introduction of football, and what led for it to become a global sport. What international football was like before 1930, the beginnings of the World Cup. We looked at the 1942 World Cup. We looked at the post-World War years. And then we looked at the late 20th century and how the World Cup has evolved over the years. On today's episode, we'll be looking at the World Cup in the 21st century. And when I'm talking about the 21st century, I'm talking about the World Cup in the 2000s, in the 2010s. And we'll also look at the World Cup winning teams, the captains, the managers, and we'll hear from some key actors of the game will play crucial roles in different generations of the World Cup and their key moments of the World Cup. Sit back, relax, and enjoy as we cruise tonight on the most exciting and informative and educative sports show on the calling platform. The 2002 World Cup was the first to be held in Asia and was hosted jointly by South Korea and Japan. The tournament was a successful one for teams traditionally regarded as Minos, with South Korea, Senegal, and the United States of America all reaching the last eight. Brazil beat Germany 2-0 in the final for their fifth title That year, Turkish Suka made history by scoring the earliest World Cup goal of all time against South Korea at only 11 seconds. The 2006 World Cup was held in Germany. It was the first World Cup for which the previous winners had to qualify. The host nation continued to receive an automatic berth. What that means, meant is that the winner of the last World Cup, that was in 2002, qualified automatically to the 2006 World Cup. Four teams also made their debut in the World Cup finals for the 2006 World Cup that was held in Germany. The four African teams are Togo, Ivory Coast, Angola, and my beloved Ghana. Who impressively made it to the last 16 by beating the Czech Republic, third-ranked in the world, 2-1, along with the United States of America, 2-0, before losing to the defending champions, Brazil, 3-0, in the round of 16. First seed and oldest, Brazil, and second seeded, England, were initially English bookmakers favorites. A strong performance by Germany brought them as far as the semi-finals. However, the final match was between Italy and France in which French captain Zinedine Zidane was sent off in the last 10 minutes of extra time for a headbutt to the chest of Italian central defender Marco Matarazzi. Italy went on to win 5-3 in a penalty shootout. The score having been 1-1, after 90 minutes and extra time. And on this show tonight, as part of our World Cup moments, I'll take you to that 2006 World Cup later on, the sh- later on in the show when Zinedine Zidane head Marco Matarazzi, which was a defining moment of that final. We will definitely come to that, that, that game, and I'll give you a vivid description of everything. And we'll hear from Zinedine Zidane himself what went into 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 his actions and all and in the year 2010 that was the first world cup that was held on african soil the 2010 world cup was held in south africa it was the first cup hosted on african soil and the cup was won by spain the tournament was noted for its highly defensive opening matches controversy surrounding goal line technology and the introduction of Vufuzeles. Though considered as one of the tournament favourites, the Spaniards won the cup despite scoring only eight goals in seven games and losing the opening match to Switzerland. David Villa led the squad in scoring with five goals. In the final, we saw a record number of yellow cards distributed, and what was considered violent play from the Dutch side. The 10-man Netherlands squad were defeated 1-0. In the 116th minute of extra time by an Andres Iniesta goal. The 2014 World Cup was held in Brazil, making it the second time that Brazil hosted the competition. The cup was won by Germany, who beat Argentina 1 0 in the final. The Netherlands defeated Brazil, who lost to the eventual winners. Germany beat Brazil by serving goals to one in the semifinals of that tournament and crushed the hopes of the host nation. Netherlands won 3-0 by beating Brazil to win the bronze medal game. Because of the relatively high temperatures in Brazil, particularly at the northern venues, cooling breaks for the players were first introduced during this World Cup. In the World Cup, there was a debut of census to avoid phantom goals with the goal line technology used to determine in doubtful situations where the ball crossed the line or not. And talking about goal line technology and the controversy, I remember that England quarterfinal game at the 2010 World Cup in Port Elizabeth, when Frank Lampard's shot crossed the line slightly, but at the time there was no goal line technology and the goal was not accepted. And the referee accepted that goal, it would have changed and defined that game. It would have tied England 1 1, and it would have changed the dynamics of that game. Unfortunately, the three lions of England got kicked out of that tournament as a result of that controversial decision. And that led to the approval of the goal line technology at the 2014 World Cup. The 2018 World Cup was held in Russia. It was the first World Cup to be held in Eastern Europe. The World Cup was won by France, who beat Croatia 4-2 in the finals. Belgium defeated the three lions of England by 2-0 in the bronze medal game. It was also the first world cup to use the video assistant referee popularly known as VAR system. The 2020s, the 2000, the 2022 World Cup that will be hosted by Qatar will be the first not to be held in the summer in the summer. The World Cup is usually held in the summer of June and July, but the Qatar 2022, for which we are building up to, which will be the 22nd edition of the FIFA World Cup, will be the first World Cup that will not be held in the summer. It will take place from the 21st of November to the 18th of December, 2022. So a recap of the nations that have hosted the World Cup and the nations that have won the World Cup. I will start from the year 1930. Uruguay hosted in 1930, which was the inaugural edition, and won. Italy hosted in 1934 and also won. France hosted in 1938 and Italy won. Italy. Became the first nation to successfully defend their World Cup title after winning in 1934. And France became the first nation to have hosted the World Cup and not win. In 1950, Brazil hosted the World Cup with Uruguay winning. 1954 saw Switzerland hosting the World Cup with West Germany winning. In 1958, Sweden hosted the World Cup with Brazil winning the World Cup for the first time in 1958. And we'll hear from a World Cup legend telling us what that experience was like for him in 1958 when Brazil won their inaugural and maiden World Cup, the first of five trophies in Sweden. We'll hear from him as the show goes on. In 1962, Chile hosted the World Cup with Brazil successfully defending the 1958 World Cup and winning in 1962. In 1966, England hosted the World Cup and won as well. In 1970, Mexico hosted with Brazil winning again, which is their third, which was their third World Cup. In 1974, West Germany hosted and West Germany won the World Cup. It was a host and win for West Germany. In 1978, Argentina hosted the World Cup and as well as also won the World Cup. In 1982, Spain hosted the World Cup with Italy winning their third World Cup. In 1986, Mexico hosted the World Cup again with Argentina winning the World Cup. In 1990, Italy hosted the World Cup with West Germany winning. The captain of that West Germany side was Luther Matthias, and the coach for that West Germany side was Frank Beckenbauer. In 1994, the USA hosted the World Cup with Brazil winning. The captain for that Brazilian side was Dunga. And the winning coach was Carlos Alberto Pereira. In 1998, France hosted the World Cup and won the World Cup with the captain, Didier Deschamps. Didier Deschamps is still the current coach of the French national team. He's one of the few people to have won it as a player and as a coach. In 2002, South Korea and Japan hosted the World Cup with Brazil winning it for the fifth time. The winning captain for the Brazilian side was Cafu. And the coach for that side was Luis Felipe Scolari. On this show, we'll hear from Luis Felipe Scolari telling us his experience as a 10-year-old when Brazil first won the World Cup in 1958. We'll hear from Luis Felipe Scolari as the show goes on. In 2006, Germany hosted the World Cup with Italy winning. The winning captain for that Italian side was Fabio Cannavaro and the coach for that side was Marcelo Lippi. In 2010, in South Africa, Spain won the World Cup for the first time with Ike Casillas being the winning captain and Vicente Dombosque was the coach for that Spanish team. In 2014, Brazil hosted the World Cup with Germany winning. The winning captain for the German side is Philipp Lahm when the coach was low. In 2018, Russia hosted the rest of the world with France winning. The captain of that French team was Hugo Lloris and the coach was Didier Deschamps. As I said in my earlier position, he's one of the few people to have won it as a player and as a coach. In 2022, which is what this show is all about, and we are building up to a year from now, we'll be in the thick of events at the 22nd edition of the World Cup in Doha, and we'll know which team would win the World Cup. Which team would win the World Cup? Wherever you are that you are tuning into this to this podcast, welcome once again. It's the most exciting, informative, and educative sports show on the calling platform. And tonight, we'll hear from the key actors and characters of the World Cup to share their key World Cup moments with us. And we'll take Diego Lugana. Diego Lugana is a Uruguayan legend. And he will tell us his experience of the World Cup in 1950 as a young boy, as a young boy. But before we take Diego Logano's experience as a great student of the 1950 World Cup when the Uruguayans beat Brazil in the final, I want to give you a brief background about Logano. Logano made 95 appearances for the Uruguay national team and he captained his country at two FIFA World Cup. He was named the best captain at the 2010 FIFA World Cup. We hear from Diego Logano, his experience as a student at the time in 1950.
2: Brazil 1950 is obviously my favorite World Cup, for what it meant to Uruguay, for what it meant to Brazil, and most of all, because of the history behind the triumph. That year, Uruguay went to the World Cup with practically no players. They didn't train together much, and the squad needed to get much stronger in order to be respected. Obdulia was the captain, but only out on the pitch. They went to the World Cup, and no one believed in them. Everyone wanted Brazil to win, and not even the directors of the Uruguayan squad bet a single peso on the Uruguayan national team. There was huge pressure on them, and they had to dig very deep within themselves. They need to access the codes of strength and character required to be Uruguayan, a man of the river plate. This was important. There's a mythology about the history of our region that means a World Cup game is much more than a football match. It's part of the identity of our society, of our country.
1: Yes, the World Cup game is more than a football game. It's more than a football match. It is the identity of our country. And I couldn't agree more with Diego Logano. That is the beauty of the game. We'll hear from another World Cup winning legend who was also inspired by the World Cup at the time and as a 10-year-old. We'll hear from Luis Felipe Scolari, Luis Felipe Scolari, let me give you a brief overview of Luis Felipe Scolari before we hear from him. As a 10-year-old, what the World Cup in Sweden 1958 meant for him. The Brazil coach and 2002 FIFA World Cup winner, Luis Felipe Scolari, remembers listening to to Brazil winning the 1958 finals on radio as a 10-year-old. Luis Felipe Scolari was born 9th November 1948 and is usually referred to as Scolari or by his nickname, The Big Phil. Yes, The Big Phil, my namesake. He's a Brazilian professional football manager, like I rightly introduce. He is currently aged 73 and we would hear from him as a 10-year-old what the World Cup did to him and how it inspired him to also win the World Cup. He led Brazil to win the World Cup in 2002. And he also went on to lead Portugal national team from 2003 to June 2008. He led Portugal to the final of the Euro 2004 which they lost 1-0 to Greece Greece, and to a 4th place finish in the 2006 World Cup. Scolari also managed Portugal through UEFA Euro 2008, but resigned after a 2-3 loss to Germany in the second round. After a return to club management at Chelsea in the Premier League, Scolari was hired again as a manager of the Brazil national team in 2012. It led them to victory at the 2013 Confederations Cup. Remember, in our last two episodes, we talked about the FIFA Arab Cup, which is currently ongoing and which is being used as a dress rehearsal for the World Cup. And we talked about how the FIFA Confederations Cup over the years is held in the odd year and is used as a preparation and a dress rehearsal for the World Cup. In 2013, Philippe-Louis Louis Scolari led Brazil to win the 2013 Confederations Cup in Brazil and to the semifinal of the 2014 World Cup. After the Brazil national team finished fourth overall in an upsetting 7-1 loss to Germany in the semifinals and a 3-0 defeat to the Netherlands in the third place playoff, the Brazilian Football Confederation decided not to renew his contract. In 2015, he started work in Guangzhou and went on to claim both the 2015 Chinese Super Cup League and the 2015 Asian Champions League in his first season with the club. That is the story and background of Luis Felipe Scolari. We hear from him and what the World Cup meant to him as a 10-year-old in 1958. Let's hear from Luis Felipe Scolari.
3: The first World Cup that I remember listening to on the radio was that of 1958. At that time, we used to have to listen to all the matches on the radio. It was transmitted all the way from Sweden. And there was a delay before it arrived in Brazil. They did the talking over there, and because of the distance, it would arrive here a few seconds later. I remember it because I was 10 years old at the time, in 1958. I remember thinking that whenever they shouted Goal,
0: what I heard had already happened some time before. The sound arrived here almost 10 seconds later. I remember that particularly well. Well, that was my
3: first World Cup memory at the age of 10. At that age, I liked to play football. I liked being involved with football, even back then. And that's even though we could only follow it on the radio. This is my first World Cup memory.
1: Yes. Never underestimate the power of imagination. And I hope you'll be inspired and your power of imagination will be ignited even as you listen to the sounds and tunes of the FIFA World Cup show, wherever you are tuning in from and you are joining in us from. Just as a 10-year-old Filippo Scolari was inspired by listening to his radio and listening to the commentary, I hope this podcast will inspire you to achieve greater heights and success in whatever you are doing. And the next actor of the World Cup that we'll be speaking to and will be hearing from is Geoffrey Charles Hurst. He's an English former professional footballer and a striker. He remains the only man to score a hat trick in a World Cup final when England. Recorded a 4 2 victory over West Germany at the Wembley Stadium in 1966. We'll hear from him and what that also meant to him. George Haas goes into details about his memories, the 1966 World Cup final, where he turned in one of the great performances of all time by scoring a hat trick. We hear from Geoffrey. Sir Geoffrey Charles, has what went into that moment. We hear from him.
4: My favourite moment uh, is very easy. Is playing in the 1966 World Cup final against Germany at Wembley. The first goal for me was probably the most important in the final. We were 1-0 down. Um, getting back into the games was very important quickly, and again, it's, it's, it's a goal created on the training ground between my captain, Bob, Moore, and myself—a a free kick. We, we always felt to take free kick very quickly, so that goal was important. For, and all for, it's also fulfilling, not just because of to take something you trained and worked on when you were 15, and 16, and 17, and then fast forward that to a World Cup final. It's quite fulfilling to um, score goals like that for one of your teammates. It was great me to be involved with that. People are, not only my memories, I think which are important, my, and my family's memories, but the memories of every every person in the country. You realise how big it is. And uh, the one thing that I always found interesting was my father-in-law, He wasn't really a football person, that tended to be the game with my wife, and he, he forecasted before the game that I would score three. So um, I wish I had a bet on that. <laughs> I think you ought to be pretty good. Even today, it had to be my final and everlasting most most endearing memory and drove memory was the whistle guy at the end of the game nineteen
1: sixty six final I can imagine I can imagine eleventh july to the thirtieth of july nineteen sixty six that was when that World Cup was held and in that final game. We just heard from Sir Geoffrey what it's meant to him and how he can never forget. And I can imagine this is what the FIFA World Cup is all about. This is the beauty of the game. We'll be taking another English legend, England goalkeeping icon Gordon Banks, will be talking to us about the save of Pelé's header at Mexico 1970 which many consider to this day the greatest save in the history of the game. We'll go to that shortly and hear what Gordon Banks himself makes of that heroic save in Mexico 1970. Let's hear from Gordon Banks. It
5: was a great moment uh... In, in in my career um and, uh, and i guess a, a team who i regarded as the best team in the world uh, against pelé who again i regard as the best player in the world that i've ever seen um, and it was also an important part in the match whereby um, the, the score was nil-nil and i think had uh, the ball finished in the back of the net i think uh, one or two of the heads might have gone down because it was a very very hot day uh, 102 was recorded in the stadium that particular day when he headed it he headed it like all coaches uh, tell folks that's down on the floor which makes it more difficult for the goalkeeper I couldn't dive forward for the ball because it was too many yards in front of me so what I had to do I had to dive across and cover the actual speed and and, and direction of the ball and then guess how high it would bounce from the ground once I'd I'd done that um, and made contact with the ball, then it was in the lap of the gods. And though I'd never play on my, my line, I still thought the ball might end up in the top corner of the net. Fortunately for myself, as I said, it was in the lap of the gods, it, 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 it spun over the crossbar and dropped me on the goal. But Pelley actually shouted goal as he, as he headed it, because he thought he thought it he he would finish it in the back of the net. He hadn't been quoted later on, saying that he, he did think it was the best save that he'd ever seen.
1: Whether he still says that or not, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's Gordon Banks, English goalkeeping icon, describing how he made that save against Pele. We we'll hear from another goalkeeper again, the great Italian goalkeeper, Dino Zoff, telling us about the epic contest between Italy and Brazil at the 1982 FIFA World Cup in Spain and his famous save that won Italy the game. Let's hear from Dino Zoff. And the FIFA World Cup show, it's all about informing you and giving you all that you need to know. We are building up the 22nd edition of the World Cup, which will be held in Qatar a year from now. And as we build up, let's hear from one of the key characters that have made the World Cup what it is. Dino Zoff, Italian goalkeeping legend. Let's hear from him and how that tournament shaped his life and his career.
4: On the alley. In the World
1: Cup, the most
4: important match has to be that one against Brazil. We played played remarkably well. Paolo Rossi scored a hat trick. I I made one save in the final minutes. It contributed to us going through. It was a save from a header from Oscar. I dived
3: and saved there was the was I, was I sure, saved it
4: on the line but there was some apprehension as all the Brazilians were celebrating I was sure I saved it on the line and then there followed 4 or 5 seconds
2: of abject fear we had to wait for the referee's decision only then I realised that the referee
6: had seen it wasn't a goal and because of that
0: That's Zeno
1: telling us his experience at the 1982 World Cup in Spain. We'll hear from another character, again from the 1986 edition of the World Cup that was held in Mexico that is a famous canadian defender bob leonardozi yes i'm sure my fans and listeners in north america can connect with the name bob leonardozi he's going to tell us a funny story about canada's final finals debut against france and michel platini at the 1986 FIFA World Cup in Mexico. Let's hear from Bob telling us what that World Cup meant for him and his priceless moments from that World Cup.
7: My fondest memory of the 1986 World Cup was uh, before the first game against France. At the front of the French line was Michel Platino. Players to ever play the game, and at the front of our line was Bruce Wilson, who I actually think was uh, is, is one of the best Canadian players uh, that we've ever produced. And then, as we're getting ready to go, Platini looks across at uh, Bruce Wilson and says, "Toronto." Blizzard. He had played against Bruce uh, when Bruce played for Toronto, and Platini was at Juventus, and. Uh, he remembered Bruce, and so uh, I kind of suggested to Bruce afterwards, "Hey, Platini recognized you," and um, he said, "Yeah. I said, uh, do you think it's because of when you played against them when you played against Juventus? Must be. I said, no, I think it's because of the fact that you don't have any hair and you're easily
0: recognizable."
1: Yeah, that is Bob describing uh, Canada's debut game against France and playing against top player Michel Platini at the 1986 World Cup. We would hear again from another goalkeeping legend and also a a character at the World Cup. But he's going to tell us what the World Cup meant to him as a young boy watching Cameroon play at the maiden edition of the World Cup in 1990 and how Roger Miller inspired him. I'm talking of no other person than the long-time Cameroon goalkeeper, Carlos Kameni. Carlos Kameni is going to tell us what he remembers and the joy of watching the indomitable Lions beat defending world champions Argentina at the 1990 World Cup. Let's hear from Carlos Kameni.
2: My
3: favourite World Cup memory is the victory achieved by Cameroon in 1990 against Argentina. It was very important for Cameroon and all of Africa to show that a country like ours could beat Argentina, the team that were the reigning world champions at the time. I can't tell you how much joy there was when our team returned to our home country. What was important was to see the heart and soul with which nine players battled for each ball against 11. We won
0: 1-0. Francois Bier scored.
3: I don't know quite how to describe it. He rises so high off the ground he virtually gets his boots at the same height as the Argentinian defender's chest and heads the ball. It's euphoria. An entire nation lives the moment. And Cameroon
1: went. And in that tournament, Cameroon had a goalkeeper who inspired Carlos Cameni as well. He's called Antoine Bell. Antoine Bell. And is uh, one guy that has inspired many parents to even name their children. Antoine, it's a name given to boys, and Antoinette for girls. The World Cup and football is indeed a beautiful game. It's inspiring people in different ways and different spheres of their life and influencing our lives to take very key critical decisions. We we'll would hear again from another person who played at the World Cup and how the World Cup also shaped him. I'm talking about the late Stephen Keshi, former Nigerian captain, icon, and coach. He's going to tell us the joy of playing with the Super Eagles at the USA 1994 and how the Super Eagles. Bust onto the scene at that World Cup. We'll hear from the late Stephen Keshi sharing his experience. Stephen Keshi is also one of the few players to have won the African Cup of Nations as a player and also as a coach with the Nigerian national team in 2013. I watched him win the AFCON with Nigeria and South Africa at the 2013 African Cup of Nations. We'll hear from the late Stephen Keshi, and what he makes of that experience at USA 1994.
6: Match against Bulgaria, we were awesome. Um, the team, you know, the team, that's why the U.S. are crying. They, we'll never see a team like 1994. but that team was together for like six years, you know um but we we just the good thing about the team is that when we play you think we're having fun but the purpose of playing that game is still there it's top top of the league. we just you know have fun in playing the game and and mostly where I should be the late, I should be like you know, first goal. Oh man, we were, we were out of this world, you know, uh, with due respect to Bulgaria, good players, Strykobis and Cole, but we managed to win 3 I think that was a great good, good moment for me and, you know,
1: Yeah, the late Stephen Keshi. that was a great moment for him. That was a great moment for the late Stephen Keshi. We, we are still building up to Qatar 2022. And just uh, we'll take the USA 94 moment will be our last moment for today's episode. And uh, I would wrap up with another American legend, Alexi Lalas. He's going to tell us how the USA 94 shaped his career and how it also influenced many young Americans. Let me, for for the benefit of my listeners, I have listeners across all the age groups. So for the purposes of my younger listeners, I'm going to tell you who Alexi Lalas is. He's an American retired soccer player who played mostly as a defender. Lalas is best known for his participation with the United States men's national soccer team in the USA FIFA World Cup, where he was a standout player on the team with his distinctive long beard and hair. After the World Cup, Lalas went on to become the first American player to play in the Italian Serie A. Yes, let's hear from Lalas and how USA hosts of the 1994 FIFA World Cup shocked Colombia with a 2-1 victory in the Rose Bowl Stadium, which changed soccer in the United States and the career of the omnipresent defender Lalas. Let's hear from Lalas.
2: when I think about 1994 and that summer, that magical summer that it changed my life. The reason I'm talking to you right now is because of that summer. You know, I, I live the power of what a World Cup can do to an individual. I'll never forget beating Colombia and the Rose Bowl. We trained for two years for the World Cup, together as a team, getting ready for that summer of 94. We talked about get out of the group, and that's success. And that final whistle blew. And we beat Colombia, who had, had been predicted as one of... Favorites to go and win the World Cup. Uh, it was a magical moment in, in Pasadena, California, At the Rose Bowl, hundred thousand people, and you know the flags and all the iconic images that you talk about when, when those things and those moments happen. It was something that I'll never forget.
1: Yes, one of the key things Lala said that struck me is the power of the World Cup and the USA '94 is what shot him to prominence and also was a defining moment of his career. The World Cup has also been very good to me, to my career, and likewise to many players. It's 20 days to Christmas, 26 days until the end of 2021. And whatever it is that you've been looking forward to, you've been expecting at the beginning of the year, that has still not happened to you I want to tell you, do not give up. Keep hanging on, keep pushing hard, and keep working on your dreams and keeping your eyes and focus on the ball. And I believe before the end of the year, you will definitely achieve your goal. Until same time tomorrow, 9 p.m. GMT, 4 p.m. East Coast American time, 10 p.m. Central European time, It's been fun. It's been exciting coming your way with today's seventh edition of the FIFA World Cup show. Thank you and bye for now.